Hello, uh, good morning everyone. Uh, I'm another student from Christian Union on mission. And we'll keep hearing from the Bible. Uh, we'll, look, we'll be looking through James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, which is on the page 1268 on Church's Bible. Now listen, who you say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. Thank you, Raj, for reading the word. We've only got a few verses this morning, but it's so relevant and applicable, I'm sure, to all our lives. So let's pray once again that we might understand it and understand it well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on only these few verses, that you will teach us what your will is and that you would cause in us a heart that desires to do your will and to always seek and pray that your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now at the, at the moment, sitting here in church, what are your hopes and what are your dreams? What are you hoping for? What are you dreaming for? Some of us here, I'm sure, are super organised. Some of us, not so organised. But we all have plans, don't we? Small plans, big plans. When I was young, I hoped to become an astronaut. I've shared this um, previously. I did hope to become an astronaut. I've always been fascinated with all things space. The planets the comets, the satellites, the space shuttle, all things space, always fascinated with that, how big, how, how grand. And that's why I studied the course I did. I did aerospace engineering. But look at where that got me. Here, fixed on Earth with you. <laughs> and I'm thankful to God for that. Now, do you know what my wife, Yvonne, what she was hoping what she was dreaming for as a little young girl who enjoyed dancing and ballet, what her dreams were. Well, she had a dream, and it was actually quite simple. Her dream was only to become a wife and not to work. That was her dream, <laughs> the whole sum of her dream. Well, only half of that's fulfilled. She's married a pretty good man, ticked there, but she still has to work and works very hard. I mean... You always work very hard, don't you? All of us. Mothers working hard, wives working hard, children of God working hard. But how many of our plans and dreams come true? How often do we devise and prepare and plan and nothing comes of it? Our plans are all chucked in a rubbish bin. You see the, the important meeting, perhaps, that you were intending on going to. And then the car accident and the meeting's off. Plan in the bin. 
the uni course that you had every intention of studying. You were dreaming to study that course, but you didn't get the marks. The job you were so hoping that you would get, that promotion that was meant to be for you, but it went to someone else who was more qualified. The guy you really hoped that one day you would marry, but he ended up marrying someone else. The holiday you planned for months, you are hoping will be great, but the flights were cancelled. The wedding that everyone was anticipating will be of great joy, but caught off. The retirement super fund that you were hoping will be enough to give you a comfortable life, but then the market crashes. The long life you were hoping to live, but cut short. See, all it takes is really just a phone call or a text, and your world is turned upside down. Only a phone call, only a text. I mean, when was the last time that happened to you? You received a phone call and a text, and your plan for the day or for the year, all gone. The phone call, like, the diagnosis is no good. It's, in fact, worse than we expected. I received a phone call like that from someone just the other week. Or a phone call like a mother. Every intention of becoming a mother, giving birth to a second child. But that child was born, stillborn, hearts broken. That was just the other week I received a phone call like that. Or about one of our members from our church. Mum just passed away. An hour ago. That was just Friday. You have plans, but they can be all thrown into the rubbish. Just from one phone call, one text. And so what are we to make of our plans in life? We all have plans. We all have dreams. What are we to make of our plans? Because so often these plans, they never go according to plan. And so that's what we'll be reflecting on today in this passage in James. And this passage today will cause us to reflect on our own hearts, what it is that we plan for, how is it that we go about planning, and it will reveal what it is that we live for, who we live for. And so let's have a look. Do keep your Bibles open to James chapter 4. James here, he's calling everyone. He's calling everyone, wake up, listen. All of you, listen up, sit up, come now. You who think or speak in this way. You who have proud plans. You who are presumptuous. You who are overconfident. And what example does he give here? The one who says, well, today I will go and make money. Today, I'll get on my business and I'll seize the day. Today, I will fulfill my dreams, whatever that might be. You see, that's what he's calling for. If you're saying that, thinking that, verse 13, listen now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now, when you hear that, you might think, who speaks that way? Do you know anyone who speaks that way? But perhaps 
when we say it, it just sounds a lot more subtle. I'm going to finish school. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. And then I'm going to wait for grandkids. We say it more subtly, don't we? A bit like that. I'm going to work for five years. And then I'm going to leave that. And I'm going to work for myself. Build my own business. Or I'm going to go on an adventure around the world to, to live it up. Or I'm going to invest in the share market, build a property portfolio so that I might retire young. You see, the way we think about it or speak about it is far more subtle. Now, we may not have the audacity to say it out loud, but do we think it? Recently, I spoke to a young man, a young man who was exploring Christianity. He's got a good job, but he was sharing about the, the turmoils, the trials that he's been going through, some rough patches in life. And I said, well, that's good. You're exploring Christianity. You're thinking about this. You're thinking about the meaning of life. This is good for you. And do you know what he said? He said to me, well, these are my priorities now. I'm attending an entrepreneurial program. And that's because I want to establish myself. I want to be working myself sooner. I want to retire young. That's my first priority. My second priority, he said, well, I want to be thinking about my performances, my dancing. And then the third priority, well, there I'll think about Christianity and getting my Christian life sorted. Now, when you hear someone speak like that, what would you think? What would you be thinking? Well, in the eyes of the world, it sounds like a great plan. You can sympathise with a young man like that. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you plan so that you can get. So if you don't plan, you don't get. But inside, as I was listening to this young man speak about his priorities, I was thinking, are you for sure? Are you really sure that's going to happen? But I wonder whether we here think that way as well, just with different priorities. Priorities for us, priorities for our family, priorities for our children. And what I've seen more and more increasingly, perhaps I see it even a little bit in myself, Parents who did not have when they were growing up, now they live through their children so that they will have and they live through them. And we plan and we plan and we plan and we think it's all in the bag already because we've planned. Well, James says they're proud plans. They're proud plans. Though we might think we get it, they're proud plans. But, but it's really the way of the world, isn't it? It's really the way of the world. It's captured in that poem, Invictus, by William Henley. I heard it read out as a speech by a best man at a wedding. You know that poem? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I mean, how proud are those words? Because what does God think of that? Well, James here, he says, in a sense, with a scoff. He scoffs at that. Those who speak that way, oh, really? You really think so? Make, make all the plans you want. You have no idea what will happen tomorrow. In fact, we don't even know what will happen this afternoon, do we? This past week, I've had this bunch of students from Deakin University. They planned to go out door knocking. They did not plan for it to rain, but it did, and they went anyway. This past week, I did not plan to be so busy in my schedule, but it was, and I suspect your life might be like that as well. 
this past week, I've got some plans, but I have no idea how it will play out. And try to feel here the scoff. The scoff of James, who, who plan and they think it will happen with certainty. Look at verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Can any one of us guarantee what will happen tomorrow? Not at all. Not at all. We might be smart. We might be intelligent, powerful. But we have no control over tomorrow or our future. That remains in the domain of God. And so do you see why plans plan proudly, overconfidently? It's just plain arrogance. And it is in defiance of God. You see, we might think that this is my life. It's the way of the world. This is my life. I will do with it as I please, when I please, how I please. But to think like that, I'm just kidding myself. And it is in defiance of God. The future is in God's hands, not ours. And so James now, he makes a sobering point. None of us really likes to face up to this point, but we know it to be true. And that point is the frailty of human life. I mean, how long is a human life? It could be 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. But from God's perspective, it is but a mist. You know, the morning breath in the cold air, it's out, and the next minute it is gone. And I suspect, even though we don't like to think about it, we know it to be true. Life is so, so frail. That phone call about that mother who gave birth to a stillborn child just the other week, no one plans for that. You don't plan to have a child and see that child born dead. Everyone expects life to be full, longer, but it is frail. Just a mist. I still remember four years ago, and perhaps one of the most difficult times in ministry so far. And I still remember, remember it vividly because it was on the morning after my birthday. So I'll, I'll always remember the date, the 24th of October, four years ago. It was in the morning, I was sleeping in the day after my birthday, and I got this phone call. And the phone call was, got some sad news. Tim, who's been at your church, part of your growth group, had an accident. Killed in a car accident. Only 25 years old, he was part of our growth group. Many of us might still remember him. Known and loved by many in our church. I got in touch with the parents just the other week because I remember it's the anniversary, the 24th, the day after my birthday. I got in touch with them. You never forget that. But it highlights again the frailty of life. Or even if we make it to 100 years, 110 years, it is still from God's perspective just a mist. And so verse 14, look there. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And that is the human life. He today, gone tomorrow, and soon forgotten. He today, gone tomorrow, and soon forgotten. And perhaps just for us to sense how fleeting human life can be and how easy it might be to forget those who were before us 
just an exercise for us. Show of hands if you know your father's name. Keep your hands up and keep it up if it's still true for you. You know your father's name? Do you know your grandfather's name? Keep it up if you do. Great-grandfather's name? Great-great-grandfather's name. Now, I don't mean here you can just call him Mr. Jones or Mr. Brown, not Mr. First name basis only. Not many hands up. Great-great-great-grandfather? We've got probably only one or two hands. Now, what do you think that shows? Well, what it shows is that even if your ancestor, perhaps in his lifetime, was so influential, or even if not, if anyone is to know your ancestor's name, it's meant to be you. Because without them, there's no you. You are here because of them. You have existence because of them, humanly speaking. And so what that demonstrates is the frailty of the human life. But a mist, soon forgotten. And so James says he proud plans. That's just simply folly. But of course, James isn't saying here we shouldn't plan at all. That's not his message. That's not what he's saying. There is great wisdom in planning, in being organized, in preparing. Great wisdom in all of that. I, for one, I'm so thankful to God and grateful that I've got a wife who is organized, very organized. Now, as a mother and a wife, many responsibilities. She's cooking for a family of five, seven days a week. Over a year, that's 365 meals. How do you be organized with that? Order grocery shopping, order the decisions about what to eat and all that. Well, this is how my wife, and I suspect this may not be normal, but this is Yvonne. She can cook about 30 meals. So how, how can she organize herself? She puts it on repeat in her diary, so that on the first of every month it's the same meal, the second is the same meal, on the third is the same meal. She's organizing that way. may not be normal, but that's what she does. Makes life so much easier because she does not need to ask me. I have no idea. I'm hopeless. But of course, even though she's so organized, plans do not always go according to plan because there'll be seasons where she'll be sick or tired. And so what do we eat? Instant noodles and the plants in the rubbish. But you see, what James is saying here, planning in and of itself is not wrong. It's how we plan. It's what we plan. And what James, is, James teaches here is that we are to plan not proudly, but humbly, recognizing that the future is not in our hands, it's in God's hands. And so how do we do that? Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That's to plan humbly. If it is the Lord's will, that is, we submit our plans to God. We want God's will to be done, not mine. Now, this is not simply saying that we are to say God willing after every plan we make. I'll buy you a coffee. God willing. Let's uh, go out for lunch. Come over to my place. God willing. Um, next week I'll see you again. God willing. It, we're not meant to just say that as something we say. James is not saying that we need to say that 
but it's the attitude of the heart. Do I submit my plan to God? Do I recognise that I'm not in control, but God is? Do I desire that God's will be done and not mine? It's the attitude of the heart. And James is certainly not saying here that we are to say God willing like it's a trite thing or a superstitious thing, like how people say touch wood. It's not saying that at all. What James is on about is our heart, whether we want God's will to be done. You see, the whole point of saying God willing, if it is the Lord's will, is to know in our hearts that God's will is best, not our will. It is to trust that God's will is best and not ours. And so what James is saying here, whatever I plan, it will always be God's plan that will prevail, not mine. Just like that proverb, Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Not sometimes, but all the time. And to not remember that is to be proud, is to boast, and it is not good. In fact, I find these next few words in these next few verses shocking. Quite shocking. Look at verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't, it is sin. I mean, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about evil? Well, what comes to mind is the one who steals, the one who murders, the one who's the drug lord, the mafia boss. But what does James say here? What is evil? The one who makes proud plans. The one who boasts. Why is it so bad? Because it fails to acknowledge God. It is me-centred, not God-centred like our church value. It is putting my desires at the centre. I'm in the centre of my life, and that is in defiance of God. It is the heart of sin, and it's what James calls evil. And so humble plans means we desire God's will be done, not mine. We may plan this, but God may will that. But yet, we trust that God's will is best. We may plan marriage. God may will singleness instead to remind us that our identity is in Christ. We may plan wealth and riches. God may will not wealth, not riches, but just enough to learn contentment. We may plan successes, but God may will disappointments and failures so that we live humbly. We may plan to be efficient, to get things done quickly, but God may will setbacks so that we learn patience. It's always God's will that prevails. Humble plans. And so how do you plan? What do you plan? Well, however we plan, if it is God's plan that always prevails, then doesn't it make sense that we actually try to understand what is God's plan? 
What is God's cosmic plan? What is it? Well, often, you see, we get it wrong. We get it wrong so often, myself included, when it comes to thinking about what we want to do and how we plan for it. We've got our agenda in life. We've got our list of to-dos in life, the things we need to do. And if we are a Christian, then God is on our agenda somewhere. Just like that young man I spoke to, God is number three. But for many, God's number five, number ten, number twenty on the list. But what are we treating God like if that is us? Well, a minister from London, he, he, he put it this way in one of his books. He said, we turn God into a divine waiter. He's there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with him on a Sunday. We put our order in via prayer. We might give a decent tip in the collection plate. But God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need. And we get furious with him if he doesn't deliver. I wonder how many Christians see God like that, a divine waiter. It can't be like that. And so some Christians think, well, he's not just on our agenda, he's at least first on my agenda. He's number one. We prioritise good. I think that's good. But I don't think that's far enough. It's not far enough. And do you know why? Because as Christians... My life is still not about my agenda, even though God is first. My future is in God's hands. And so rather than having my agenda, I tear it up and I work out what's God's agenda. And I find my place in God's plans. I find my place in God's agenda. God's not merely first on my agenda, because that seems to be still about me. I find my place in God's plans and God's agenda. He sets the agenda. It is God's will that will be done, not mine. And God's plan, what is that? We see it in Scripture. God's agenda, it centers not on us. Shock, horror. God's plan does not center on us, but it centers on his son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's a different way to think about God's plan, isn't it? We like to include God with us, but it's different because God is including us with him and his son. His plan centers on Jesus. It's Jesus who created the world, not us. It's Jesus who died for the world, not us. It's Jesus who's the saviour of the world, not us. It's Jesus who's the Lord of the world, not us. God's plan centers on Jesus, but... It is, in fact, for our good. I mean, why would Jesus, knowing how terrifying, how dreadful it is to face the crucifixion, not so much the physical pain, he didn't speak about the physical pain, but it is the bearing on of human sin, facing the full wrath of God the Father against him for human sin. And what did he do in the garden in our first reading? In great distress and anguish, he pleaded to his father, please take this cup away from me. And then what did he say? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Why, even though God's plan centred on his son, why did Jesus say your will be done? It is for our good. It is for our salvation. 
It is that we might know God is so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we might be adopted into the family of God and have the right to be called children of the living God. That's God's agenda. Not find God in our agenda, but find ourselves in God's agenda. That's where we fit in. In Christ, for our good. And if God did not even spare his own son, who would give up a child? I would not give up my children for anyone. If God did not even spare his own son, why would we ever think, even if my plans do not go according to plan, why would I ever think that God is withholding something good from me? He will never do that. And so how do we plan? We humbly plan with great comfort that God's will will always be done, even when there are setbacks and disappointments. We humbly plan with great assurance that God's will will always be for our good, even if there are failures, sickness, illness. We humbly plan with deep trust in God's will that it is always best even when there are sorrows and tears. A, a, a part of scripture that has helped me see just how marvelous God's plans are, despite our circumstances, a, a few verses from 2 Corinthians that I've been reflecting on this past week, that I in fact shared a few times this past week. And in 2 Corinthians 4 we read this, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What does that tell us? Even as we grow older and more frail and weaker, God's will is still doing his thing. God will still bring about his purposes and ultimately... It'll be an eternal weight of glory. And so God's plan, God's will, which should be our deepest desire, the deepest desire of all our hearts, is centred in Christ, but it is for our good, and it is ultimately to the glory of God. So often, I suspect... We only see this if we step back from our life and just reflect on the life we have lived. As you look back on the life you have lived, and you see, and as I reflected on the life I've lived, there are so many things that happened to me and things I did that were not part of my plans. The course I studied, where I lived, the job I did, the people I met, the relationships I developed, the disappointments I experienced, the illnesses I felt, the, the hardships and sorrows, many of it was not part of my will at all, not part of my plans. But you see, as you look back over your life and as you reflect on your life and all your experiences, that that was God's will, that God was doing his good work in you, because of Christ, so that he might be bringing glory to, to himself. And as I, re, as I reflect on my life, God brings glory to himself even through a weak and broken life. And, and this past week, that point has been made clearer and clearer to me in my mind. When you just reflect on the life of a person, 
when you get the privilege to spend the last moments with someone on their deathbed. Now, I've announced before that Dorothea, sweet Dorothea, passed away Friday night. On the Wednesday afternoon, Yvonne and myself, we got to spend uh, a good time with her. She was reminiscing on her life. Many stories, I, I, it boggled my mind how she could remember all that. Stories of childhood, stories of even when she was born and the miracle that she survived that. Stories of where she went, the, the people she met. And what are we to think when you hear the life of someone? As they reminisce, what do you feel? Is it not what we've been learning in this passage? That in all of life's journey, God's will was done in Christ for her and for her good to the glory of God. And so what are your plans? How do you plan? Whatever it might be, it's not your will, it's not my will, but it will always be God's will be done. Let's pray.